0: What's up, party people? This is Ian Lenhart coming at you from Miami, Florida, just to let you know that it is a damn, an absolutely damn good day to have a damn good day. And I know I haven't posted a lot, I haven't been putting up a lot of podcasts. You know, what's the Jones up to? What's he doing? And quite frankly, I've just been sick. You know, I've had stomach issues that have plagued me in the past, and they've come back up from the depths to haunt me and, you know, try to stop these dreams from coming true. And, you know, I really dedicated a lot of this podcast to speaking a lot about, you know, the health issues I go through with my gut some of the challenges I went through with having a tumor removed from my leg as well as uh, issues that I had with LASIK eye surgery and all stemming from the gut and how complicated the gut is and I think it would be it was an awesome idea to bring on one of my greatest friends Peter Clotier. I met him in college just an absolute amazing traveling person a businessman a, a great friend. He was the reason that I ended up moving to Columbia just an absolute all-around rock star of a person and we spoke about so many different things from health journeys to you know, how living a vegan vegetarian lifestyle has helped him being alcohol free uh, the experiences doing ayahuasca experiences experiences traveling all around South America it's just incredible I mean like every time I talk to Peter I'm just ready to pack my bags and go do something crazy you know he lives life on the edge he lives life in a way that's inspiring it makes you want to be like you know what what am I doing with my life should I be doing this should I be doing that He just puts things in great perspective, so I really think you guys are going to love this episode, really laid it out, a long one, uh, and there's just so much good stuff in here. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into it. I got a lot of good stuff that I'm going to be presenting shortly. I'll be letting you guys all know about it. I can just let you know for right now, it's a damn good day to have a damn good day. With that said, episode 114 with my man, Peter Clodier, let's jump into it. We're live, Peter, he's in the building, the man, the myth, the legend. How are you, my friend?
1: I'm doing great, I'm great. First,
0: first off, thanks for jumping on this, this podcast. This was very, very just improv. We were just speaking on the phone and I was ranting about a lot of issues that I'm currently going through in my life. And I was asking for your opinion because you're someone I look up to and just pretty much many aspects of life. We've had some pretty savage stories together. Uh, You were the reason that I moved to Medellin, Colombia, like you can like you were the definitely the the convincer there. And it was one of the most epic experiences of my life. I've always been fond of how you have just been traveling around in so many different countries, literally just like motorcycle in just cruising, living the simple life, but at the same time, living in danger. I mean, your stories are insane and we're here and I'm I'm grateful that we've been friends for so long. And I'm also very grateful because you just know me so well, right? Mm -hmm. And and we've known each other for quite some time and ever since college. I think we should just start that off. Do you remember how we first met?
1: Do I? Do I? I actually, I don't, but I remember some some flashes of the first time we met. Like, I remember you were living in the PBG frat house. I remember remember coming coming into the frat house. And uh, I mean, you've always been the life of the party and you immediately welcomed me into that family because I had transferred to UNH. And so I got there sophomore year, I didn't know anybody. And, oh yeah, of course, you were living next to me.
0: Hetzel, what was that, baby. Uh,
1: Hetzel, yeah, um, man, that was, that was awesome. But, um, yeah, I really appreciate how you welcome you welcomed me into the PVG community and also the UNH community. You're the one of the first people I ever met there, so man, it's yeah. been a, it's been a long ride.
0: And when I took a year off of school and came back to finish it out, it was just like me, you and Vinny, like for the most part, like that's who we hung out with like the entire year. Brian Morin, shout out. Um, yep, yep, but it was a good time. but ever since then, you've been traveling the world and uh, tell me where you're living right now.
1: So I currently live in Oaxaca, Mexico. Um, I've been in Mexico for I want to say close to two years now but over the past four years I've lived in Colombia and in Guatemala as well. But yeah Oaxaca is where I call home right now.
0: And what was the reason you went to Colombia in the first place?
1: (sighs) That's a great question. To be honest it was because of a tinder date. Um, So (laughs) when I when I graduated from UNH, I decided to move to Asheville, North Carolina. I didn't know much about it, but I thought it was a cool, artsy, mountainous, yeah, just a great place to, to explore. And when I was there, I ended up going on a Tinder date with a girl from Mexico. And then she introduced me to all of her Latina friends. And I met the girl that I soon called my girlfriend, Paola. Um, She's Colombian. And then one day, you know, we were talking about the fact that she would have to go back to Colombia. And I was happy with my job, but a little bit unsatisfied and I wanted to do something a little bit more adventurous. And I made a joke with her that I was going to be, uh, you know, try to get a job in Colombia, but I thought it was really impossible. And one thing that I think is, is good to mention here is that for people who haven't lived abroad, the idea of moving to a country, especially to a country where they don't speak the language, it seems almost impossible there were so many questions about how can I find a job where I just need to speak English, but it's in a country that speaks Spanish, but, um, through my network on LinkedIn, I actually found a job in Medellin. And when within one month I had a, a flight down to Medellin. So it was a really rapid change. Um, and that led me on this, this journey kind of bumbling through Latin America, purchase a motorcycle, traveling around working remotely. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's the most PG way of him saying it. I mean, Peter, you live life. You're, you're one of the, you're one of the most intelligent people that lives life on all, like on all levels, you fire on all cylinders, right? Mm -hmm. From a business perspective, you're incredible when you focus on something like a task. I remember that thing you did when you in Asheville, where you like created a whole program where you were teaching people through art on how mm-hmm. to you know, expand their mindset. And like when you're focused on something you're all in, and sometimes that goes on the opposite direction too, you know, when you party, yeah, yeah, party yeah. hard, right? And that, yeah. <laughs> a lot of that for sure is behind you at this point in general, right. just because we were speaking about this on WhatsApp right before this, like we grow so much and change so much as we age and who we were five, six, seven years ago is just night and day different. And a lot of that has to do with body chemistry as well. But beyond yeah, that, you're yeah. just always out here sending it. You know, you're not scared of the danger. I mean, just recently you had your your motorcycle stolen on straight security yeah. camera.
1: <laughs> Man, I want to mention a few things about that, because this idea that I'm sending it on all cylinders, I think it comes from a place where I've, I've always wanted to challenge myself more than I was being able to be challenged in my environment at home. Growing up in New Hampshire, everything was great. Everything was comfortable. And you're also this type of person. That's why I think I'm you know, attracted to you as a friend and, and also somebody I look up to. But it's like we want to challenge ourselves because we know that once we challenge ourselves, we grow every single time we do it, we grow so much more. Um, but I've been recently reading a book called uh, King Warrior Magician Lover. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. But um, the basic premise is that our western societies we've kind of lost the the ritual processes that help boys develop into men and oftentimes those ritual processes which are really varied throughout the world but something that they common have they they have in common is that they they help boys make the transition through usually through something that's very difficult very scary could be very painful whether it's a hallucinogenic experience whether it's i forgot which uh, which culture or tribe does that thing where they do like bungee jumping from vines. Have you ever seen that? They like build this huge structure and then they just like send it off of this 40 foot, 50 foot high structure, diving at the ground. But the the point is here that I think in our society right now, we have a lot of young men that don't have enough fear in their lives to challenge themselves. And that sounds crazy that we don't have enough fear in our lives because we do have a lot of people that are stressed or anxious, have a lot of fear in some respects, but not a positive sense of fear. We live in such a comfortable world. We have everything provided for us. Um, And I'm obviously speaking to people in like the first world who have a lot of things going for them. So I feel like in my life, once I made a couple big moves that challenged me, I started to crave that more and more. And whether that's, you know, randomly purchasing a motorcycle, I'd never driven a motorcycle before. I don't have a legal motorcycle license. Um, I've still owned two motorcycles in Latin America. So that's going to be a challenge when I move back to the U S and want to buy a motorcycle, I'll have to get a motorcycle license. But the point being is that I've found that every single time I've pushed myself outside of my comfort zone, that it's had tremendous uh, return on investment. So, um, yeah, that's kind of an ethos that I live my life by.
0: And you went there, you knew no Spanish, right? And no. you just started figuring it out. You took some lessons, but at the same time, you just started surrounding yourself with the people. And I think it's, yeah, and I think it's funny because you went out there chasing a Tinder date, right? Kind of. You, you, you mm-hmm. sent it in that sense, but I'm pretty sure like immediately you guys actually broke up. Right. And then you, you went down there yeah. to, 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 to <laughs> date someone, broke up and then ended up redating again, like six, seven months later. That's true. You ended, That's you ended true. up, you ended up meeting like the most amazing people from different countries that were so welcoming and cool. Like, what were your experiences like that?
1: You know, what's crazy is you realize once you start living abroad, um, that there are so many people from other countries and cultures that actually share a lot of the most important values that you hold, you know, whether that's adventure, hard work. um, The the people that I fall in with are usually people that are dedicated to working hard, are interested in business, are interested in technology. But the point is that when you travel, you realize how little the country where you were born matters. And I found a crew of people of international friends that, I feel almost closer to than some of my childhood friends, because we've lived a lot of crazy experiences together, and we just happen to share a lot of the same values. So um, I heard recently something from Sam Harris. I don't know if you're familiar with Sam Harris, but he said something really interesting, which is culture is like the operating system of society. And it made me think that when we're raised in our in our cultures, we often only see the paths for the trajectories for our lives that our culture kind of allows for us to experience or to have. But once you start experiencing other cultures, you start being able to pick and choose which culture fits you. Uh, and you start to see a lot more pathways for your life. So I don't know if that, that makes sense, if I'm being clear about it, but I found that idea fascinating that culture is the operating system of society and as you travel and as you expand and as you meet new people you start to be able to change those cultures in which you see yourself in which changes everything so
0: yeah I mean it makes complete sense right you life is about perspective perspective is a gift and if you can chase perspective your life is going to be so much more open to different ideas and cultures it's like the melting mm-hmm. pot effect, right? A little yeah. bit why I like Miami because you get the South America effect in Miami. There's people from all over, but yeah, at the yeah, same Miami time amazing. when you're seeing people from Europe, from Denmark, from Sweden, from all these different places and they're all exper- they're all chasing similar experiences, right? right going to right. Salinas, um, going to yep. Romero, getting the bombest chocolate chip cookie with ice cream ever. It's fire. But what happens is I... like they change their entire perspective on, on just the people they're around and, and, Yeah, bust out of their shell. And if we don't bust out of our shell, we don't know. And if we're not challenged, we don't know. And the challenge thing is constantly just evolving. And I know we're experiencing it with, I'm experiencing it, not you, but with with my health, um, which you've been a big help for me with all that stuff. And I was picking your brain earlier, because you know, you're full time vegetarian, correct? Mm. Full time. Full time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: I was vegan for many years, actually. I, I only recently started like really incorporating cheese again, but yeah, no
0: eggs, no, no fish. What was the start point for that?
1: Uh, it was actually a podcast. So about 10 years ago now I was at UNH and I had just made like the transfer and everything. And I was pretty lost in what I wanted to do, or what I wanted to be. Um, and I remember randomly finding this podcast called the rich Roll podcast. I'm sure people who are listening to this, a lot of people have heard of him. Um, And I kind of attached myself to him as a role model. And I started listening to the podcast religiously and long story short, he was an overweight alcoholic lawyer who ended up going vegetarian, vegan, uh, becoming sober. And then at like his mid forties became an ultra endurance athlete. And so his, story and then had this podcast with a bunch of athletes and um fitness people but health gurus I mean tons of different people but the the point is that his transition and his story later in life actually inspired me to start making different decisions earlier in life I could kind of live vicariously through his experiences and I decided to try vegetarianism veganism um vegetarian for a month vegan after that and I just felt better so I just stuck with it. It became kind of a habit. It didn't take a lot of willpower. I wasn't forcing myself to do something. I just kind of naturally fell into it. And it's been, uh, yeah, nine years. I was vegan for a long, long time, but moving to Mexico, there's cheese everywhere. So
0: nice.
1: <laughs> I've introduced cheese again. But yeah, it's, for me, it's not a religion. It's really, I don't necessarily care how other people eat who I'm around. Um, I'm not militant about it, but I've felt that it's been a a great decision for my health. Um, And so that's just how I live. It's just how it is.
0: Yeah. So right now it's uh, Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday for anyone listening when this is being recorded. And I uh, feel like absolute trash, full trash panda status. Uh, The reason I haven't been putting any podcasts out is because I have no energy. I am low. I am because of this what we'll explain is it sparks depression it sparks lack of um, ambition gut health is so freaking critical to my life to things I do to the people I'm around everyone that listens to the show knows I'm all about a damn good day to have a damn good day you know I'm all about being positive and I and I'm grateful for that mindset because even when my stomach's so messed up I still do feel that and I strive to be that but you know I've been through a long health journey with the with stomach issue called SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. It's essentially where you get too much bacteria inside of your small intestine. And what happens is the good bacteria doesn't kill, you know, the, the bad microorganisms, and then they start piling up, creating different viruses. From there, you can get things like gut permeability and leaky gut. If food's not getting broken down, it's going past the, the gut barrier, which is like the smallest lining ever from what I'm reading and then gets into your bloodstream. And when it gets into your bloodstream, it lights off a so many different adverse reactions, right? There's two brains, there's the stomach brain, and then there's the brain brain. But 90% of serotonin, the drug, you know, the, the chemical responsible for making us happy is created inside of the gut. So if your gut is messed up, you can't be happy. Like you can't physically be happy. You try to be happy, yeah. but you're not doing it.
1: So Wait, the- let me ask you this. It,
0: do you think After everything
1: that's happened so far with your health story, do you think that you could have changed something earlier, like let's say in college or the way that you were eating that would have affected this whole trajectory of your health?
0: Yeah. I mean, the more I learn about it, I could for sure have been better. I mean, I've learned new things, which we'll talk about, which I'm implementing. But I mean, as a youth of growing up, we were fed French bread pizza, cereals, bagel bites, all of the bombast. you know, convenience was at the center of our universe, right? right, we, right. And our, it's not like our families are bad people. There was no studies or science or anything. So, right. you know, we were just, we're feeding ourselves GMOs, high fructose corn syrup. And because of that, uh, I, I read the study that without GMOs, we'd only be able to feed like a third of the population, but with GMOs, yeah. we can feed everyone. So even if you're buying whole foods, you're getting these GMOs, no matter how you cut it, like even if if you're being so good. So naturally in our food supply, there's chemicals that are like not normal to our body that are added to our food that are weighing us down. So now Mm -hmm. you factor in things like eating just overall things that we know are bad, lots of sugar, lots of coffee, Mm -hmm. you know. putting in different things that are weighing us down in terms of just our our ability to break these things down. Um, Mm -hmm. We're not incorporating enough fiber into our diet Mm and things of that nature. We're not drinking enough water. Then you put in alcohol, right? Like we were both in college. Everyone who's listening here was in college. In college is the time to be a booze bag, drink a bunch of alcohol, party your face off, socialize and explore. It's awesome.
1: Great time. Uh, I thought it was about learning. Uh, I missed that part, I think.
0: For real though, I mean, I truly think yeah. with college, it's like you learn by doing. Like I can learn today. Just the other day, I've learned all about different plans, and because I decided to learn, you you decide to learn. College yeah, to yeah, me yeah. is a social experience Absolutely. for sure. It is. And, it is. Uh, but same thing with health. You don't change your health until it's too late. That's how it works, right? You don't mm-hmm. know what you got till it's gone. It's how things work. It's how we're designed. It's the mm-hmm. comfort thing, right? You don't aren't stoked that you have two legs until you lose one, right? Right. You aren't grateful you have fingers until you lose one. You aren't grateful right. for your ex-girlfriend until you lose her, right? And yeah. then you're like, mm-hmm, then the homie's got to reel you back in, you know? <laughs> in every element, you don't know what you it is until you lose it. For me, it was the health. So I, right now, I'm on day eight of the elemental diet. Elemental diet is something, the only thing I have found through clinical studies at Cedar sinai Institute that's uh, clinically proven. Uh, if you do it for two weeks at uh, 80% chance, and if you do it three weeks, 85% chance of eliminating SIBO. And what's great is that it gives you a complete reset of the gut microbiome. It allows you but, to- But what is
1: it? Is, is it incrementally eliminating foods? Is it an elimination diet or is it something different?
0: No, no, no. Uh, elemental diet is the most extreme version of diets that exist. Uh, it's essentially the stuff they put in a feeding tube. So it's macronutrients wow. be, uh, broken down into the most easily digestible form. So you're getting all of your different amino acids and necessary like things to live. All your different vitamins. So what I do? Are is you eating whole food? Or are you? No, no, no. You have to I buy something. I drink this. That's every it. every day for two weeks. All day. All day. Yeah. This and water. What is it? So it's uh it's it's your macronutrients broken down. So it's the different elemental formulas have different powders and different ingredients and things of that nature. I use Integrative Therapeutics. But um, oh, you it's, purchase it's literally a powder that you purchase. It's a purchase powder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So and it's expensive. I mean, for like seven, eight bags, it's like eight hundred bucks, right? It's crazy. Nine hundred bucks, maybe more. Um, but wow. So it sucks, and but more than that is not the elemental diet. Elemental diet obviously sucks. Like no one wants to freaking do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like people, mm-hmm. f- food is one of the greatest things about being alive. Like whenever yeah. I, think but you've I'm, done
1: this before. This isn't your first time. And Doing that's it, why I'm not, that's why
0: it's not killing me. Cause I know what to expect. Right. In right. general, when you know what to expect about something, your brain doesn't like take over too hard. Right, right. So I've actually done this three times, but for the past two months, I've been feeling shittier and shittier. My energy's going down. I just feel like my skin's breaking out. I'm itchy. I got acne on my face. My, my, my lips are dried. I got brain fog. Uh, in general, I'm tired and I wake up tired. My sleeping patterns suck. I have lower back pain and it's just been feeling worse and worse and worse. Uh, my health is deteriorating. And a lot Mm -hmm. of the times you look at people and you say, wow, you look really healthy, but really they're dying inside. Like they're, Mm -hmm. you can work out 45 minutes a day and get like a cut body, but inside Mm -hmm. it's just like a chemical factory.
1: Yeah. 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 And,
0: when, and when I first beat SIBO, I beat it the right way, right? I did the elemental mm-hmm. diet and I started incorporating more healthy foods, eliminated sugar. Like, I did a lot of good things and I was good for mm-hmm. like five months. Like, I, I was good for like five months. I put on mm-hmm. 20 pounds. I was I was 152 at the bottom of my SIBO deal. And right now, it's like, I'm 172. And it's like, wow. I mean, just night and day, just like, look at this Jones, you know, I'm just looking.
1: <laughs> Vasculated.
0: Looking frolic but it's terrible. And and for people that don't know what it is, there's so many people. I made this video on YouTube talking about SIBO, just my personal experience, really not asking anything for it. Maybe like at the lowest cloud, I was just trying to like get people to follow the podcast. Like that's my call to action, but really I'm just sharing my heart about SIBO, right? Cause I don't like being a gut health coach. Like that's not my thing. I'm not like, oh, I'm so stoked at talking about gut health. Like it doesn't stoke me, but it's part of my life, right? Um, it's like if you had a tumor, you have to figure it out, which I did. It becomes part of your life. So anyways, let me just circle back. I started having these gut issues pretty early on. I think a lot of it had to do with eating the same type of foods too often. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know like like, what? like brown rice, broccoli, and uh you know, like just if you if you're into working out, you do a protein, a carb and a veggie. Yeah, you know, that type of deal. You're yeah, like- yeah, yeah. Like there's a
1: there's a lack of diversity. You're eating "quote unquote" healthy foods, but you're not eating a diverse
0: set of no, foods. No, no, I'm probably tr- translating between twenty foods throughout the month, which is terrible. Right. right, I didn't know that, but that's what I've been doing for like most months. But they're healthy: sweet potatoes, like zucchini, right. you know, all that stuff. But uh, when I did that, I I went to col- I started feeling I started having like symptoms of SIBO early on. It just they call it IBS when they don't know what's wrong with your gut. I had all the necessary medical checks and I was fine with everything. I don't have celiac. I don't have.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, I don't have. Cancers. IBS is when
1: IBS is when you have to send a date home because you know you're going to fart all night, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah.
1: It's when that's, that's it's when it,
0: it could be called the love finder, though, because if you're dropping atomic bombs <laughs> and she's still staying with you, you know, she's the one, you know,
1: <laughs> true
0: preach. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, uh, yeah. but when I went to Colombia, I was having such a good time. I was enjoying yeah. it. I was but eventually my stomach just started falling apart again. And yep, that's yep. really why I left. I was doing the low FODMAP diet, going to the grocery store there and everything's in Spanish. and. I don't even know what basura meant, like like trash or like bag or bolsa. So like yeah. I didn't even know anything. So I was like looking up on an app what food I can eat and then translating it, and it was just like a nightmare, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So I left, yeah. and then I started doing uh, this thing called zifaxin. Zifaxin is like the the best clinical drug to kill small intestinal bacteria overgrowth that currently exists. Um, but it also. Ah, but kills- that's so harsh, isn't it? Yeah, it's not good. Aren't those, aren't those drugs
1: like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that it's, it always makes me nervous when I hear about those types of antibiotics because, you know, you win some, you lose some, you're, you're, you're eliminating a lot of good bacteria maybe when you're eliminating. I, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but it always makes me wary.
0: Well, I'm really stoked on that dude, Mark B. If, I don't know, you know how to say his name better. Um, yeah. Fiber field, Mark Bina. Will. Will, 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 Will. will. Uh, he, wrote this uh, Bolsewitz. B- Bolsewitz. he wrote this book called Fiber Field. I'm reading right now. And he said that a lot of times with antibiotics, like, yeah, they'll kill the, the issue, but they also kill the good bacteria and they seed yeah. you to create worse problems down the road. So avoiding antibiotics, avoiding ibuprofen, Motrin, all those things is going to be better for your health in general. If you can get that without that, that's that's much better. Yeah. But I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that at the time. So I was doing some stuff, figuring it out, you know. I'm just following the protocols that our health system tells you to do. I'm just following the ladder, right? Yep. following the ladder. Yep. Eventually I'm feeling good. I'm living in San Diego. I'm crushing life. I'm surfing. Just absolutely just living. San Diego is probably the best mm. chapter of my life. Like just yeah. healthy, Getting sun. met yeah. great people, Everything. rollerblading every day, yeah. scooby diving. It was amazing. And uh, eventually I got LASIK eye surgery. Mm-hmm. Um I've always wanted to get LASIK eye surgery my whole life. And to be quite frankly, it has always been, and I haven't told this ever to anybody, but I'm like totally over it now. So I can speak about it very confidently. And I'm, I'm very grateful and proud of myself for getting over it because it was a nightmare. Um, one of my biggest fears ever was something bad happening to my eyes. Like, have you ever had like a deep, yeah. dark fear? Yeah. Like, like, like something that just truly terrifies you that you don't tell anybody, but like low key it terrifies you the way I live my life is that if something scares me that much, I try to do it and, and like get over it. You know, I conquer right. it. And that's what makes me who I am today. It's gotten me to the place yeah, yeah. I am today. It's a good, it's like trait. what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Run you're into it. Yeah. You run into it. So I ran into this perfect storm, absolute perfect storm of, of LASIK. Uh, and this is what I meant. I'm sitting at dinner and I'm, I freaking hate contacts. I hate wearing glasses every day. I hate being so blind. Mm-hmm. It just sucks, right? I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I I'm feel you. Sit,
1: Is your vision good? No, I wear contacts too, and you can't. You can't imagine the the shitty situations I've been on on the motorcycle with the contacts, and then like you know, I don't know. Yeah, you get the like an eyelash.
0: Sucks. Yeah, you get an eyelash, but at the same time, they're unreal. They're, they're insane. Yeah. They're incredible. Like they're can't coolest thing. But, yeah, but it's like yeah. I, I don't know. I kept thinking like, what's what's worse touching my eye every day or just getting a quick laser and being done one and done. Like, that's what I thought. I don't know. So I'm sitting at dinner with my great friends, the long family. I love them. They're such good people. I was living with Jeff and Eric at the time, just renting a room. And, um, both of their parents had gotten LASIK when it first came out, (laughs) like when it was way more sketchy. That's bold. Yeah. And both of them have perfect vision today, you know, like in their fifties, like, And they were the biggest proponents and had just recently, both Jeff and Eric had gotten it done by the same guy in the past year. And both of them had the best experiences ever. So I'm living with people that are like, this is the greatest thing ever. This is a no brainer. Like if you qualify, like uh, just just see if you qualify. It's a no brainer. I'm living with these people, it's a no brainer. Still, I'm skeptical. I go on Facebook and I ask Facebook, I literally make a post like, hey, I'm thinking of getting it. Do you have any experiences? And I just get flooded with only good experiences, only right. positive. And I'm thinking to myself, like, shit. Like, if I'm a betting man, I'm gonna bet on this. Like, this is right. some serious social proof, you know? Yeah. I know that there's some the horror stories that can can come out of this stuff, but there is without. I've never any. Heard sort of any, any. You know, yeah, exactly. I've
1: never heard any negative stories about LASIK. Yeah.
0: So, so basically, I ended up going to this doctor. I qualify, I I don't, there's two different types. There's LASIK and there's PRK. LASIK is when you have like a big healthy eye, they remove the flap, do the surgery. It takes like 10 seconds. And they put the flap back and it's done. Literally the next day, you're good. It's insane. Really, there's no recovery? I mean, it's like a little bit? You're good. You can see 2020 like the next day. Wow. It's insane. It's insane, yeah. (laughs) And then there's PRK, which is, Anybody can opt for PRK. PRK is technically a safer long-term version than LASIK because there's no flap, but it's it's a six-month recovery process instead of one day. And it's also, wow. like if you don't have a thick enough cornea, you don't even qualify for the flap thing. So you'd have to just do the PRK. And the PRK, they mm-hmm. put a solution on your eye. It melts the top of your cornea. And I know that sounds terrible. And they, there's probably a right. better way of saying it, but that's what they do. They do the laser, and then they put a contact on for seven days as it heals under it. And it's okay. so fucking painful. Oh my gosh. It's so painful. The like day three and day four is painful. Not right after the surgery. Cause mm-hmm. you're literally, you're. Wait, eyes- so
1: long story short, you
0: got PKR. Yeah. So I got PRK LASIK eye surgery. PRK, so, um, but I'm optimistic. I'm like, yeah, look at me. I did it. I conquered my demon. I'm, I'm proud of myself, you know, but then, uh, Couple months in, you know, it's kind of getting better. Not much. Five months in, so by six months, you, you're, you're good to go. Like, there's nothing else. Six months in, I, my vision's effed up, bro. I am getting three terrible symptoms. The worst halos, which I still have to this day. And it's been one of the hardest things to conquer. Um, but basically, if you have really large pupils, and I've, I've always beat, I beat myself up over this so much, dude. I can't, I can't even begin to explain how mean I've been to myself over this little thing. Because if you have really big pupils and you get PRK, your chances of having halos go up substantially.
1: Mm-hmm. What are like, halos? First of all,
0: I could, and and, and I could blame the, the the company and I did for a while mm-hmm. because they just downplayed it way hard. They just downplayed mm-hmm. it so hard. Like, yeah, there's a chance you get these halos, but it's only at night when you're driving. Like that's how they picture it to you. What is it? What is it? Halos like is light. like it's kind of like when you have um, water in your eyes. Okay. You know, you get like starbursts everywhere.
1: Okay. okay. Or
0: when you're driving and there's lights incoming and it's like lights yeah. diverting. That's a halo. So literally, okay. if there's a light here, I see about this much light around that light. Got it. And what's it's like happening the difference is, of
1: having polarized
0: polarized glasses or non-polarized lenses? Uh, I don't know if that's the, I don't think that's a good example. I think it's like, I think it's like, it's so there's different levels of halos in both eyes. This one is my good eye. This is my bad eye, but this is my my good eye has more halos than my left. So what happens is your eyes are always equalizing. So if your pupils are larger than the surgery, it, it expands past the actual surgery. And what happens is it creates these, infusions of light so it's just like imagine like a ghost around every light that's a great way of thinking yeah. about it okay and the brighter the light the brighter the ghost and vice versa so if i look in the scar like at night it's a shit show like a shit show like your eyes are my eyes are permanently like this the only solutions to help it are there's this drop you can put in your eye it's called Alphagan. it's actually for people with a what's it for it's like glaucoma and it shrinks your pupil And it's been a lifesaver, but I only do it on special occasions now. I used to do it all the time, but like, it it doesn't feel good on your eye. Like it feels wrong, but it like shrinks your pupils. Mm. So I don't have them Uh, anyways. So that's one issue. And the worst issue, which is way worse than that. I'll tell you this is I started having the most insane pain in my eyes, insane pain. Like I can't even begin to describe it. Just excruciating pain. And I had no idea what it was. I went back to the LASIK people. They had no idea. I went to all these people. They had no idea. Eventually I was like, I was just like in a, the shittiest place in my life because I didn't know what was going with my stomach. My stomach was full-fledged crash. I remember I was at dinner in Santa Monica, like a company dinner. And I always had like gut issues, but I was still always like, yeah, I got this. Like, it's still a good day. Mm -hmm. Like I was still stoked on life until this one night. I seriously felt like my system just gave up. Mm -hmm. Like I hit it like a, like a full just wall and I fell and I felt terrible. But what happened? What
1: happened when you were eating? What was that? I started
0: having excruciating headaches, like excruciating migraines. Mm -hmm. Um, I found out later I had like uh, my thyroid was acting up, Hashimoto's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, my stomach was just in pain. I had no, I felt so depressed and sad and lost. Like it's like mm-hmm. the soul was sucked out of me. I was so right. sad. And at the same time, I was having this insane pain in my, in my, I was having sciatica. And if anyone knows mm-hmm. what sciatica is, Sciatica is when you have an impingement in some way, shape, or form on your sciatic nerve, which runs from your spine down to your toes. And it's one of the most top 20 painful things you can have. Yeah, I can't imagine that. Yeah. Um, so it felt like pins and needles in my feet. And this was getting worse and worse and worse. So the, and that's a whole nother issue, um, the sciatica thing. So I'm sitting at home. I have this insane pain in my legs. I can't sleep. My serotonin has gone. My stomach's gone. I'm having the worst bowel movements. Bowel movements are poop. Like my poops just looks like, you know, I just went on a bender of drugs and alcohol for years. Nothing mm-hmm. I'm eating is working. All like laxatives aren't working. Nothing's working. My eyes are in pain. I can't see straight and I'm just miserable. I'm like, my life's over. I'm 20, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 25 and my life's over. I'm like, this is it. Like, like how am I going to ever be in love with having all these issues? How am I going to ever have a job? How am I going to do my podcast? All these things are going through my head. I'm so sad, like depressed Mm -hmm. times 10. So eventually I found out a big breakthrough with my eyes. I saw this doctor at Tufts Medical Center in Boston. I came home one time with my dad and I was just like crying. I was just so sad. And Mm -hmm. he said, we got to find a new plan. We got to find a new plan. And he finds this doctor in, in Tufts and they get me in literally the next week. I don't even have the insurance. I, I, I had an HMO, not a PPO. And then like, I guess you could say like law of attraction started hooking it up. I met this amazing doctor, Dr. Helen Wu. She's literally like my lifesaver. I love her, uh, her and Dr. Uh, Hamra. And what they did is uh, they had this machine called a confocal. In mm-hmm. confocals, there's only 10 confocals inside of the United States. Confocals are these unbelievable instruments. And there's 10 at the time, so I don't know if it's more, but literally it's a microscope that takes pictures of the nerves in your eye. So -hmm. they put like jelly on your eye, like you're getting an ultrasound and they put a freaking, like they put a microscope on your eyeball with this jelly. Right on. It's more intense than getting LASIK. Like when they do it, I've had about three times now and they take pictures of the nerves. So then when we had the pictures taken, we did all this stuff. She said, your nerves like aren't growing. You have inflammation in the eye. Mm-hmm. So your nerves aren't regrowing. And that's why you're having neuropathic eye pain, mm. which like there's, it got a lot of unnecessary praise because essentially like there's reports of people killing themselves because of it, of getting like the like the, the proponents against wow. LASIK because the pain's so much and they don't know what it is. It's just, it's, I, and I see, I was never going to, I was never going to, they never thought about killing myself ever, like never have right. thought that, but I could see the misery that people could go through. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she said, they put me on Loda like six drops a day and serum tears. So they take blood out of your body and they create eye tears, kind of like stem cells. So 14 times a day, I'm putting wow. eye drops in my eyes for about a year and a half straight, 14 times a day. These drops have to stay refrigerated. So I'm carrying it like a, like a flask with me with these drops. And it's wow. pretty sick. I mean, they create like tears out of your blood yeah. and the idea is that it sparks the regeneration. Helps regrow, the yeah. yeah. But why did I have that in the first place? My gut. Yeah. That's why the gut really? is the reason. Yeah, yeah. The halos is my fault, but the the other thing <sighs> is for sure is the gut. Right. Right. And I eventually found out I had SIBO. And when I did find out I had SIBO, I did like Zyfaxan. I did an elemental diet and it was, Mm -hmm. it changed my life because I told my dad and I like, I can handle one of these beasts. I can handle sciatica. I can handle my health or I can handle my eyes. I can't do all three at the same time. I can't do it at the same time. It's too much. Eventually I got my gut figured out. And the eyes were still a pain in the ass, but like it took a huge burden because I was finally able to like process food and have bowel movements and like actually poop, you know, and just be normal. My skin mm-hmm. started clearing up, I started putting on some weight. Eventually my eyes over time, I lost that neuropathic eye pain. And then I just had the, right. the halos. And I'm very grateful and proud of myself because today I don't even take the drop. I've been dealing with it for three and a half years now or something like that, like three years. That my I've just kind of like, i'm not scared of it anymore it's just kind of part of my life like i i just i have crazy shitty night vision it's like whatever like i don't i don't go into like a fear i used to go into like every time i'd see a halo i'd become so affixed on it which is anytime I, i wouldn't go out at night dude like that's how bad it was i would keep light on as late as night because i was so scared of the reality that my eyes were just permanently damaged like it was terrible i can't
1: imagine that it sounds so scary
0: Yeah. And like, I'm just like sitting here, like I decided to do this. (laughs) Right. So what's the deal? What's going on right now? So my eyes today are fine. And then eventually, I mean, you're still
1: dealing with, are you still, you're still seeing halos, of course.
0: Yeah. yeah, But I don't have any neuropathic eye pain anymore, which is amazing. It's literally amazing. Um, So the nerves have last, I checked the inflammation was down significantly and they are slowly regrowing. I have very sensitive eyes because of that too. Like I always have to wear sunglasses, but I'm very grateful. Like my eyes are figured out in my situation. Besides Eventually, all of the health, besides all of the health stuff that you've
1: gone through, I mean, what do you think has been the the biggest lesson you've learned in terms of how you treat yourself about this type of stuff?
0: That's a great question. But even before I say that, like the last thing I have to cover is like, I also had a tumor removed from my leg. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> And that's what was, <laughs> that's true. And that's what was causing the sciatica. So I had bulging discs. I have bulging discs in my back, in my lower back, right. but it's actually very normal not normal, but to have bulging discs, like a lot of people have bulging discs and never know. So they assumed that it was coming from that area. I am one of the smallest cases after seven MRIs where they found a peripheral sheath nerve tumor. On and around my sciatic nerve like literally that big small tumor but growing on and around the most sensitive nerve so then i had a doctor at ucla ronald reagan medical center seven months ago cut that thing out and Mm. uh, to this day i still like have to sit with like i can't put pressure on it because it takes like a year to regrow those nerve roots so i have to like sit really awkwardly and um, it hurts Um, i don't feel like seven eight inches of my leg but it's gone and i can walk now so and I'm grateful and I can run and I can be healthy. So yeah. I'm just so grateful for all that because I've never even told that story, but that was just a whole shit show and I can tell it better in another time, but that's a quick preview.
1: Yeah, so again, what what do you think? Because through all these experiences, I'd be also really down on myself. It sounds like you were. So what do you think these experiences taught you about how to treat yourself and how to talk to yourself about things that you can and cannot control? especially as related to health
0: control. The controllables is everything. Number one, knowing is everything. You need to know what the problem is before everything. There's a great quote on uh, one of the most famous hospitals. uh, I forgot their name, but they just said, knowing is everything. And it's (laughs) true. You need to know what's going on. If you don't know, you start creating false truths about your future. (laughs) You know (laughs) what I mean?
1: There's a, there's a quote that I know. And, think about it all the time, which is so similar. And I can't remember who to attribute it to, but it's spend 95% of your time diagnosing the problem and 5% of the time solving it. I think it was from the guy who is responsible for the, the OODA loops thought, but yeah, same concept.
0: Yeah, it's powerful. I mean, yeah, the number one thing is knowing. And then the number two biggest thing is making a plan. You need to have a plan. If you're not on a plan, you're screwed. If you think you've tried everything, you're done. Because your brain is the most powerful, mean person to you. Right. Yeah, you have to have hope. You have to have hope. Exactly. Hope is everything. If you have no hope, that's you're done. You just shrivel up and die like as a human. But if you're hopeful that you can find a solution, that they can figure it out, that you have a next plan, that you have future doctor meetings, you can go off of that and you can feed off of that. And that hope can heal your body and things like that. So- The big thing is, is number one, know the problem, identify the problem. Number two, make a plan. And number three, like, I hate this whole thing of forgive yourself. But like, there's so many times I just so wish I never did it. And again, like, I'm the first bad story you've ever heard about LASIK. That's for damn sure. Like no one's, you know, but I wish I had never done that. And I think that we've all made really poor mistakes in our life, right?
1: Yeah, this may be naive, but were you compensated at all? from from the experience with LASIK I mean was there any
0: you sign your life away when you get it yeah yeah I'll be quite frankly I just sign 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 like yeah I read read the I read the iPhone terms and said yes you know like right yeah like I I get it I get I get what I'm signing I'm signing my I'm signing saying that surgery is risky when you sign a surgery anything can happen that's the fact yeah That's the truth, you know? Like people get, like girls get boob implants and then like down the line, it can literally like cause them crazy infections and things like that.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I have a friend who's had very bad experiences with that.
0: Every surgery is gonna have risk inherently. Like when I got my leg surgery, there was a 1% chance that I was just never gonna be able to walk on that leg. Like a 1%. Right. Again, 99% chance, rolling them dice, you know? (laughs) Yep, yeah. Um, But yeah, I didn't. And quite frankly, I was two things. I was I don't like doing that. I really don't want to ever I don't like getting into lawyer stuff and legal battles and stuff like that. And number two, I just didn't want to open up that can of worms. Yeah, Uh, I did. I was really upset about it for a very, very long time. Like I was so upset to the point where I felt like I just I got taken advantage of and just Like, I think before you get LASIK, you should have to go through like a freaking two week seminar about the possibilities Mm. of what could go wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I seriously think I think you should have to go through like a course to know that it's possible that what happened to me could happen to you because that shit was crazy. You know, so today Mm. I relapsed with my stomach issues the last two months first of all, my life's great. I'm living in Miami. I have my own place. It's so dope. I'm like financially, I've never been healthier. Um, my friends are great. I'm meeting great people out here, but just even the past two months, I've just felt like shit. And then I had this really bad sore throat and I haven't done podcasts because my throat's getting bad. And you know, I'm a social person. I'm a social Jones. I love friends. I love people. And there's never a good time to solve your gut issues. So, you know, I'm still having a casual drink here and there. I'm still eating right. and I'm still doing stuff like that. And I'm still just pushing through, just pushing through. Eventually I'm like, screw it. I'm doing the elemental diet and it sucks because I'm, I'm grateful I have friends and I have people that invite me out to go places, but like I have awesome things I could be doing today and tomorrow and the next week. And I, I can't do any of them because like, I'm literally walking around with a giant jug of this shit all day, you know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but hey, I'm grateful about it. But what I've learned in the process Sorry for everyone that's listening and feels like I'm just rambling about my life, right? But what I've learned in the process is that with the gut, important things to consider, number one, alcohol is, there's no studies that show that alcohol is actually good for your gut microbiome, right? There's Mm -hmm. things about red wine, that like a cup of red wine, like one cup could be Potentially beneficial, but everything else, there's no studies that show it's good. It's all bad. Um, diversity of plants and diversity of microorganisms is interesting to me. So I'm reading about how do I make sure I never have cybo again? Well, a big thing is is you have to treat your gut like a muscle, right? When you go to the gym and the first day you get back from the gym, you don't lift heavy, like I friggin' did because you know just naturally you don't do that. It's stupid. Um, you get injured, which I got injured. Um, But you have to treat your gut like a muscle. You start with three reps, you get up to four, you get up to five, you get up to six. With foods, it's like getting a little rep. So if you're like lactose intolerant, you can actually rebuild up your lactose intolerance by getting small reps at a time to build up your tolerance to that food. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So if you start off with just a little bit of broccoli, just a little bit of asparagus, over time, you can grow the body to be able to take in more of that.
1: Right. One of the biggest, seeding the gut.
0: which is so interesting and diversity of plants is like the number one indicator that that dude in that book was saying is the top gastroenterologist in the country basically said that the health of someone's gut microbiome is due to the diversity in their diet mm-hmm. so i found that really interesting
1: right and even even the, the healthiest like the vegans vegetarians or, or whatever diet. They're following. Even the healthiest people in the US are still getting a very small diversity of different foods compared to some tribal cultures or foragers or people who just eat what they find, you know, hunters, hunter and gathering societies. So, I mean, we think we should follow these specific fad diets or vegan diet or keto or whatever it is. But if you think about it through the lens of a diversity of different sources, that changes the perspective on all of these different diets.
0: It's, you know, it's so interesting. And a lot of these cultures, for the first time, I think in the last decade, the humans life experience, uh, life expectancy in the US has declined like 10 years mm-hmm. or something. And
1: in the UK, I don't think it's that much. But yeah, for the first time, it's declined. Yeah,
0: it's declined. And that's insane. Right. And, you know, I don't know. It, it's different when you come to like diets and stuff because like there's people that square on keto and some people swear on just eating meat and just only meat. And obviously there's going to be, everyone's different. Something's going to work for everybody and, and you got to do what mm-hmm. you do. I think I'm personally, I'm just going to try this whole diversity of plants thing, like super diverse. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it makes eating really fun too because you go to the grocery store and you're like, okay, I don't know how to cook this. I I don't even know what this thing is called, but why not pick it up? And in Miami or in any kind of tropical place, there are so many fruits, veggies that are exotic and unique that are delicious, but you've never tried them before. Uh, I don't know if you have this thing called a sapote negro, but if you can find it, you should definitely try it. It's like chocolate pudding in and just a fruit. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, I had one for the first time the other day. It was awesome.
0: So they, they like put chocolate pudding in the fruit?
1: no. <laughs> It's just
0: that the fruit is like this soft green thing. And when you
1: open it up, it's like pure black soft. And it tastes like chocolate pudding, in my opinion. It's insane. But um, I was going to say that I've never had stomach issues as serious as yours. But I think it's pretty common that vegans and vegetarians, they don't, they may eat more diversity, but may not be that diverse in their diets. Like you can still be unhealthy and vegan and vegetarian. And I may have been walking that line as well, where I had like some gas problems and, you know, I think it was because I was eating the same foods, but one huge thing that has benefited me recently is I stopped drinking alcohol, um, a year ago. Now it's been, we're coming up on one year, I think in a week or so. So I know for a lot of people quitting alcohol is super extreme. There's a lot of fear around how it's going to affect their social life. And, you know, a lot of people just think it, it's not necessary. Like, why would I give up alcohol? But from my perspective, I made several bad decisions with alcohol. I don't think I was an alcoholic, but I definitely drank more than, you know, a lot of people. <laughs> you're, you're smiling. I think you know some of the, the bad decisions I've made. But uh, the point being that I think it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, emotionally and Health wise, spiritually, productivity wise, I mean, quitting alcohol is like a is like a superpower. It sounds so crazy, but not having those days where you wake up lethargic and those hangovers carry on for me, at least, they weren't just the next day. It was like days afterwards that I had less energy than I otherwise would have. And it wasn't until I just completely cut it out that I realized that I'm like, man, I actually could go for a 10 mile run every day if I wanted to now, because I don't ever feel super lethargic or just a minimal, like a small level of lethargy or just depression or whatever that I think was being added into my life because of alcohol. So um, I would highly recommend that, that people take off some time from drinking Especially during COVID, it's so easy to, to fall into drinking more than you would normally.
0: I heard this thing by uh, uh, this this one of these like business building type of dudes, and he was saying that anything you put in your body is going to stay in your body for seventy two hours.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: what you drink today or put into your body is going to affect you over the next seventy two hours. So right. you have to think about that, like. The whole idea was, do I have um, M&Ms before I go to bed, right? It was like this mm-hmm. billionaire CEO and she was asking him like, how do I cut my habit of having M&Ms sometimes before I go to bed?
1: Mm-hmm. he basically said, well,
0: those M&Ms, right? It was something so simple like that. He's like, Yo, those yeah. m ms are going to stay in your system for 72 hours. Meaning it's not going to affect just tonight's sleep. It's going to affect the next night's sleep and the next night's sleep. Yeah. So before yeah. you make a decision, ask yourself, is it worth the next 72 hours to be affected? Right, thought that was interesting.
1: I want to mention another thing that's hard to articulate, but oftentimes when people think about changing their diet or their lifestyle or, or making any decision, they think that the only way to do it is by applying a lot of willpower and like, okay, I'm going to gear myself up. I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to make a decision and I'm going to follow through with it. And then what happens is when they don't follow through with it, they, they have shame. they have They get down on themselves about it. They're like, I told myself I wasn't going to drink. And now for a month, let's say and now a week later, here I am having a beer at a bar. I'm, you know, such a shithead. I can't believe I did this, you know, just being so negative towards themselves. But for me, the, the way I was able to quit drinking or to change my diet was never through sheer willpower. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it wasn't like I made a decision. And from that day forward, I never had alcohol again. I honestly think I, it sounds, it sounds silly. It sounds kind of spiritual, but I surrendered to it. And I've almost received a gift of sobriety. Like it wasn't as if I told myself I was going to stop drinking and that was going to be it. It was as if I opened myself up to it and then it was finally able to happen. So... I don't know if that's any benefit to anyone. Well, I think the biggest but... thing about the
0: sober thing is that it's the social element, right? Like, think yeah, that's mean, a for huge, me, huge. For me, it's the social element that's tough. It's especially mm-hmm. if you're in business and sales and meeting people. Because I don't know. Right. Like, in my opinion, the two the two best ways that you can ever like really strengthen a bond with somebody is by either having mm-hmm. a beer with them or smoking weed with them. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> two, <laughs> Two things that after you do that, your relationship and friendship's just on another level, you know, it's just it's right. almost like a trust thing, you know. That's one
1: that's reason that's so true, but that's that's I feel like that's our culturally accepted way of doing it. And that's that's like the cheap and dirty way of doing it, you know. But if if you can find another way to bond with people, go for a strenuous hike, go do something that's that pushes yourself outside of your comfort zone because in those moments where you're vulnerable, that's where you bond. And that's what happens with alcohol and weed. It's like the cheap way, the easy way to make people feel vulnerable with each other. And the funniest thing about alcohol is people become vulnerable with each other. They say stupid shit that they wouldn't otherwise say. You know, they, they do embarrassing stuff together, but it's just because they drink alcohol together. If you go on, I mean, I can't think of a, another good example, but if you go on a hike together, you're going to get to that same level where you're going to start opening up. You're going to start talking about your family. You're going to start talking about your fears and your vision and your dreams. That's where you bond. It's not because of the the alcohol and the weed. That's just a tool. It's just like just the culturally accepted tool to get you to that place.
0: Interesting. You did a you did a, you did a pretty ex- like crazy experience. that I would love for you to share with people. Ayahuasca. Yeah. Tell me about ayahuasca. You did it like the right way, like the way that I hear. I I hear hear you got to go like deep into the jungles and it's truly an experience. Can you tell us about like where you were before that, like mentally, what caused you to do it? And then what was the experience like?
1: Actually at UNH was where I first had uh, an experience with mushrooms, like a hallucinogenic drug. And, And after that, I had several experiences with mushrooms, with acid a few times. And I didn't, I wasn't immediately the person who loved it. And it was like, yeah, acid is my thing, tripping out is my thing. And some people just, you know, jive with it and really, really love that stuff. Uh, but I also, the perception shift that was afforded to me by doing mushrooms opened me up to other things like ayahuasca down the line. So when I moved to Colombia, and I heard that ayahuasca was something that was pretty common and available to do on a retreat. I was open to it, but I made a decision that if I were, were going to do it, I was going to do it in the Amazon, in the jungle. I wanted to have the whole experience, not just do it in in like a living room with some shaman guy. So I thought about it for years. I read a book on it. I listened to tons of podcasts. I mean, I'm sure everybody has heard some podcast with some person talking about ayahuasca because A lot of people like to say that, oh, I did ayahuasca. Now my life's awesome. You should do it. Everyone, you know, ayahuasca is for everyone. Um, That's not what I'm going to say, but I was open to the idea of doing it. And I met this woman named Claire, who is from Scotland, who is actually training to become uh, a Taita, which is a shaman. And I told her that if she were to ever go and do a retreat down in the Amazon, which she had done many times but when she was going to do that to let me know and i would maybe say yes or say no well about a year went by and then randomly she hit me up it was like hey peter i have an amazing opportunity for you the Taita, the shaman that she studies under for the first time is going to allow me to bring a few foreigners down to his home and do it with him and his family Um, And this is a big deal because he travels all around Colombia and Spain and other countries putting on these retreats. He's an old man from an indigenous tribe in Colombia on the border of Ecuador and Colombia. Long story short, I'm one of the guys that was able to go down with her. And so it's not like a formal retreat center in Peru or, you know, there are more formal centers that do this in the jungle. It was just going to be us and his family. Um, so he's part of these, this, this people called the Kofan people, uh, and to get down there, I had to take a flight from Medellin, Colombia to a city called Pasto. From there, I took a nine hour bus over the Andes and then down into the, the plains that go towards the jungle, got to this other town, had to take an hour long taxi ride. Then I had to take a two hour boat ride down the river. So we get to a spot with his family and it's, you know, just as how you would imagine, it's just in, in the jungle, flat jungle on the side of the river. Um, It's like everything is lifted up on pillars on columns to avoid like flooding. And we're going to be staying there for three nights and just do ayahuasca together. So.
0: (sighs) How do you pitch your friends this?
1: Well, they, they were brought on board from from Claire. This woman had found two other guys. This guy from, he's an American, Jamaican-American guy. And then this other guy from the Netherlands. So you so, didn't even know him? No, I didn't know them at all. No, no. We met we met actually on the, the taxi ride uh, from this little town to go to the boats. But
0: What was your first school? So
1: Man, I think we're all excited. We're all just open to the experience you know you start as you get closer to doing something like this something that's so far outside of the norm you're we're already bonded in that you know we wanted to have a a good experience we didn't want to create bad trips for each other so we're just really positive about the whole thing but um what can i tell you about the experience it's very difficult
0: to put it What do you words. do? Like, what do you do? You're sitting around, like, I'm thinking you're sitting around, a, like, a fire and, the, like, a chieftain's going to come up. He's like, ooh, bachaka, ooh, chaka, ooh, oo Yeah, I,
1: there is kind of that side of it, which is, so we actually spent the day, the first day we got there, preparing it with him, which meant going out in their yard, the jungle, and picking the the leaves in the, the root, um, chacruna leaves in the ayahuasca vine. So it's a vine and it's a leaf. And then they boil them together. Yeah, yeah. Indigenous plants there. And they boil the leaves together, the the, the leaves with the vine. Takes all day. I mean, you can, the strength obviously varies a lot, depending on the potency of the the elements, the ingredients, how long you cook it, all this stuff. I have pictures, I'll show you pictures sometime of us cooking it. But um, yeah, so you boil it together, simmer it down, and it becomes this really horrible tasting tea essentially like a, a dark brown tea and we did it I'm sure other cultures and whatever have different traditions but we drank it I think starting at maybe nine or ten at night and then you trip out for whatever four or six hours and then eventually sleep um, it's hard to tell because you're you know be, kind of I, I,
0: it. is it tough with sleep schedules like are you just like is your body wanting to go to sleep or does it just like No, no, no. You, you, you're not tired. Once, once you start feeling the effects,
1: you, you're in it. You're in it. And these guys do it. I think they said every third day. For like their life, like this. (laughs) I mean, for them, it's it's like as common as having a cup of coffee or something. I mean, there's ritual around it. They take it very seriously, but it's something that they do very frequently. So there's so much depth and tradition and ritual behind it. But one of the coolest experiences was the fact that we had so many different generations there of his family. Wait, so you, you're, just, you're just this.
0: drinking this tea though? Like, you're, so you're sitting there, you drink the tea and then like, do you just chug the tea or do you slowly slip it?
1: The I just drank it down in one gulp, and you could get more than one if you wanted to. Like he, they would offer you more. Oh, do you want more? Like maybe a half hour later or an hour later. Um, but yeah, just took the, the. it was like a hollowed out gourd or whatever, like a, I don't know, like a natural cup. And then just, yeah, down the hatch. And then Man. I would say maybe 30 minutes later you start to feel, it's kind of like mushrooms. If you've ever, ever experienced mushrooms, I mean, some people will say, oh, it's so different. But I mean, all things being equal, it's pretty similar
0: so you're just like everything's more vivid you're like in your own head you're is it a lot of is it hallucinating or is it more so just yeah no no a lot of a lot of
1: hallucinations a lot of hallucinations the biggest difference I found between mushrooms and ayahuasca was um ayahuasca I felt like I was encountering more people or beings like more entities I guess but um It's really hard to explain. I had one moment on ayahuasca that was the most salient, the most impactful moment. And that was on the second day. Oh, you want to know something really sad? I took all of the like journal notes, you know, every single day I took copious notes and, and journal entries and I, I put them on my phone. And uh, then when I moved to Mexico later, that phone flew off my motorcycle and I had none of that backed up. So I lost all of my like journaling from that time which sucks. But anyways, from what I remember from memory, like on the second night we always had a fire burning and I went out and sat by the fire and I was looking up at the, the trees around me, like the ring of black trees and the silhouettes of the the trees and these huge long silhouettes started coming out. They're as tall as the trees and they were so, they were horrifying. Like um, there's that, that anime movie spirited away. Like, you know, those, I forget what they call them, but they're these long, like long silhouette. shadow
0: figures. Of like, yeah,
1: like ghost like things. Yeah. And blank, like kind
0: of like the things that you see at like uh, car, used car shops, with those things that like flap around like this. Like that actually, that's a great analogy
1: to it. Yeah. But just completely, completely blacked out and no, no arms, no like just black silhouettes. And they started coming out of the woods towards me. And I was laying down next to the fire, looking up, and they were so tall that just looking straight up, I could see them encroaching on me. And I was terrified. You know, I thought these like you were scared? Um, oh, so scared. And I, and I knew when you're on ayahuasca, it's not like you lose all sense of reality at all. You know that you've done ayahuasca and that you're tripping balls. Like, <laughs> you know that this is happening, but still your emotions are affected. By it so you're you're hallucinating not just imagery but also emotionally spiritually so these things that come around me and then they started talking to me and at first I was petrified but then they started telling me that they're my ancestors and that they're always with me behind me like in this infinite trail of of ancestors so it just it's, it's to make it more visual, you're at the front of the line of this infinitely long line of your parents, their grandparents, great-grandparents, like this huge infinite snake of, of your lineage. And I'm there right now in my physical body, like manifest in reality. And all of these people are behind me, supporting me. And it was the most amazing experience to be talking with them. And it reminded me of that moment in, um, do you remember in Mulan? I think there's this this moment in Mulan where she's like goes to this temple and uh, she's talking with her ancestors.
0: I don't remember, do you remember that part. They're
1: telling yeah. her something like, I think you're, you're making the right decision about, whatever, I forgot the, the overall story of Mulan, but um, they they were telling me that I was like the fire burning. I was the burning part, the the manifest part in this moment in time, like I was on fire living. And then soon I would become smoke like them. And then they just came and they crashed into the fire and they just went up in smoke. And I was like, holy shit. That was the experience that I came to have, you know, on ayahuasca, like this is what I was looking for. But with that being said,
0: what did they say to you?
1: That was it. That was it. Were you said talking that. out
0: loud? Are you like speaking out loud? So no, no, like, no, no, hey, no. It's all in your head.
1: Yeah, it's all in my head. And they they weren't really speaking words. You know, it was just the yeah yeah. We like were communicating. Energies. Yeah yeah yeah. But um, yeah. With that being said, after my ayahuasca experience, it wasn't like oh, I came back and my whole life had changed and you know now I'm a professional athlete and (laughs) never do drugs again. And I'm making a million dollars a year. You know, I, I hear a lot of these stories about ayahuasca that it was, it was the silver bullet to everyone's problems, but really the way that I, what I found from that experience was it opened me up even more to different experiences, to more spiritual thinking. And it made me remember that I'm not just, Peter, this one person on earth, like walking around, there is a huge lineage of people behind me that I represent and that are like looking out for me. So it was an amazing experience.
0: What about absolutely the other two? Did so the other two have any, like the other two people you're with, were, were their experiences similar?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately I wasn't able to, I haven't stayed in contact with them much. Um, I see them on social media and they look like they're like living life. Uh, but the experience that we had, I think it was maybe a week or two later, we had like a follow up call together and they also had had, you know, brilliant moments on Ayahuasca and some of, we had different experiences. Like some people, one guy, I don't think he had a very strong experience, uh, at least for the first day or two. He, I don't, I don't even know if he really hallucinated the first night and then another their guy, he had extremely visual. I mean, from what he described, it was very, very visual for him the entire time. Um, for me, it was visual, but it was also emotional. But, yeah. Also, there was another experience during that the whole ayahuasca retreat that was almost more special, if not just as special, as doing ayahuasca. And that was that because I was going going to go down and meet their family, this indigenous family, like Kofan people in the jungle. Um, by the way, they, don't think of them as completely like this tribe. I mean, they they have like cell phones and stuff. It's not like they're that remote. Uh, but I wanted to get the kids a gift because I knew I was going to be meeting up with some children. And so I was walking around Medellin, Colombia, like. What do, what do I get these kids that live in the jungle that I've never met that are from a completely different culture? I had no idea. You know, I'm so bad at giving gifts like thinking of a gift, especially for children. So anyways, just randomly I purchased uh, swimming goggles. I was like, Oh, they live by a river. Like maybe they'd like goggles. I don't know.
0: What an epic gift.
1: Right. So, so I was like, I was really hoping that they would like it because I, Again, I had no idea what they would like. I mean, would they see the goggles and be like, dude, we have six pairs of goggles in our house already. Like we live on a river. Or they're like, no, I've never even seen these things in my life. Like, (laughs) what are they? So anyways, long story short, I gave them the goggles and they absolutely loved the goggles. I have pictures of them using the goggles. They used them for like three or four hours every day that I was there just looking at fish, like in the river, swimming with them. It was a really cool experience, like a cultural divide in a way that, you know, I had no idea. I just got them goggles randomly and they
0: just like absolutely love them. So So cool. Imagine that. Like you've never been able to see underwater and then all of a sudden you just see underwater. Yeah. 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 That's a cool experience. Well done. Good, Good gift giving such a hack. Maybe that's your next startup. Indigenous gift giving. Indigenous
1: gift giving. Yeah, we're in the business of just shipping thousands of goggles to people who live on rivers in the middle of nowhere.
0: I don't know. There's something there.
1: I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, humanitarian humanitarian uh, initiatives don't always need to be just based on health and education. Like people need fun. There are so many cool things that kids in in the U.S. have. cool i don't know game boy or whatever that kids kids living living in such different economic situations would just love you know just increase their sense of wonder and imagination
0: wonder and imagination is the root of having a damn good day right there yeah yeah yeah. having passions and having hobbies that drive you to look at new stuff and explore new worlds is the most -hmm. exciting thing ever like if you don't To me, like the most attractive quality in a a human is their uh, ability to be passionate about things, you know, Mm -hmm. because that's what I want to hang out around, you know, like for me. I'm I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I've been able to have such a
1: diversity. I've been exposed to so many different ways of thinking, ways of living, ways of appreciating art and I think that that's something that I want to impart on my children. And I think that's really important, which is you have to, you know, some people don't, aren't exposed to a lot of different, I'm I'm thinking specifically to like different art and music, but it's so important for children, I think, to experience different things and to be exposed to those different ways of living different, different lifestyles. I remember growing up in a small town in New Hampshire thinking like, okay, everyone here has a pretty good life, has a pretty nice house, has a healthy and happy family. What do they do? Like, is everyone, are my only paths in life to become an accountant, to become a sales rep for a big company? To Like, what do people do? And as I got older, I realized that there are millions of different paths and careers and every everyone has such a unique story. And yeah, I just, I hope that more and more, children get exposed through the internet, especially to how many different possibilities are out there for people.
0: I saw this one Instagram scrolling time wasting thing I was doing and it's life hacks, right? Like mm-hmm. there's this one hack where it's, I don't know, you light like you see those three pronged candles. And if you light one end of the candle, you can spin it so that it automatically lights the other ones. And it's like, mm-hmm. there's always these comments. Why do I always learn so much more on the internet than I've learned in my entire 12 years of school? And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, duh.
1: (laughs) You're getting exposed to so many different things. The
0: internet, man. It's literally everything,
1: you know? But so many people get trapped, I, I think. And we also, not to go way into this, but with social media, how it is set up, you're being siloed based on your preferences. Like you, what you see, what you watch, what you hear is, is being determined by algorithms that already know your preferences and are just feeding you more of what you what you want and you just get deeper and deeper into that silo you know like yeah. oh i'm on youtube every single time i open up youtube my recommendations are the same types of videos it's like a podcast about technology like a video about some guy exploring a cool truck or a motorcycle and then like a random video about a stand up comedian you know, it's like the same crap every single time. I'm not being exposed to, oh, here's a traditional dance from Uzbekistan. And, you know, have you ever tried making this dish from Chiang Mai, Thailand? You know, I don't know. It It's almost as if you have to put some effort to expose yourself to new things, even though everything is available on the internet.
0: It's true, I'm looking at my Instagram right now and it's, it's UFC, so yep. all sorts of UFC action. It's Maine Coon Cats. <laughs> and it's Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, damn, yeah. my flavor sucks. <laughs> but uh, I, you're, I you're right, though.
1: i so embarrassed to open up my Instagram and I see, like, my Discover page and it's all just, like, fit dudes. And I'm like, what did I look at that just made Instagram go, you need to just see guys with six-packs all the time. Like, you just need to keep, <laughs> you know? And you're like, man, you have to consciously, like, you scroll past the photo that you want to look at and then you're just like, nope, nope. I I need to confuse the algorithm, you know?
0: Right. Yeah. You need to scramble it. Maybe that's, that's a cool app idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, scramble the algorithm. I did think about that. Something
1: that you could allow to go in with code into your YouTube account and basically just be clicking on, a huge diversity of videos
0: yeah like yeah. basically a uh kind of like a surprise uh, fu- uh, a pinata of possibility
1: right know? i think um there may there may be something that already exists there's definitely the is of- no yeah.
0: what's always so interesting to me is i used to be i, I love just like brainstorming live mm-hmm. i'm gonna do a lot more on the podcast it's just fun i mm-hmm. used to be so uh not not used to be so, but in general, like more reserved with my ideas, you know. Mm-hmm. Cuz you're always mm-hmm. like, oh, what if someone takes my idea?" And the reality is it doesn't matter because right. one in 50,000 are actually going to act on the idea. Right, know? right. It's like everyone had an electric car idea, and Elon did it, you know. Are you a doer mm-hmm. or not? Most people aren't doers. And then execution is way more important than the idea, right? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can have an idea like oh, I'm gonna go say hi to that pretty good, you know? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> homeboys just sitting here, just with cybo sitting at home, just dying. Execution's poor, you know? Has to fix yeah, the gut yeah. first, you know? Uh, in general They're- with your life, execution's everything in every aspect.
1: Yeah, but you know what? This makes me think of, I sometimes have this, this thing in the back of my mind of how important it is to zoom in and to zoom out, to cultivate this ability to zoom into things and then to zoom out and see the macro view of what you're doing, whether that's in work or life or exercise, we can, it's It's sometimes, most of the time it's easy for people to focus on a task, right? They can get into a task, they can get deep into it. They lose themselves in their work or whatever they're doing or a TV show. I mean, it doesn't always have to be productive. But after you spend time getting deep in something, you have to remember to take space to allow that those ideas and those, that work that you've accomplished to marinate, because that's where the most creativity comes from, right? And so you need time to brainstorm and to like shoot the shit and to not always be trying to, okay, this is the plan. It's gonna be step one, step two, step three. I'm gonna accomplish this and then this. You have to go out into nature, go for a run, go do something completely different in a completely different context In order to start connecting the dots and to start having new and brilliant ideas. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, definitely. Like you got to take a step back and that's why going off on a two-day hike and going camping and just not being in the day-to-day is so important to your creativity and to look at things from different angles. And that's why brainstorming is so important too. Yeah. You know, and that's like, why I'm, that's why i think mushrooms and and, and
1: ayahuasca is actually <laughs> a good thing for people to do like just hear me out on this i know it's crazy but when you studies have shown classic studies have shown that mushrooms they increase the neural activity i think between the two hemispheres there's this cool graph i saw maybe i'll send it to you later it's like you have your brain when it's sober and you have colors of the the communications between the hemispheres and then on mushrooms. And it's just like lit up with millions more. And how I feel like I've experienced that in real life and actually doing mushrooms or ayahuasca or whatever, is that it's given me the space to carve new neural pathways. Mm. It's allowed me to connect new dots that otherwise would have, would be completely unrelated. So whether that's going for a hike in nature or whether that's like going and doing mushrooms in nature, those those are moments where you're really zooming out and you're allowing all of this information to be synthesized together and like experiment putting it together.
0: One of the only few times I've ever done mushrooms was with you. <laughs> was when we. Uh, oh yeah. We did that hike.
1: We were hiking. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh and, yeah. Uh, was- you made a tea and. Uh, yeah. We were hiking, uh, what was it, like March in, in New Hampshire. It was beautiful out, but the we didn't yeah. realize. Snow? Yeah. You remember so, how like, much snow there was? Every, every fifth step, you just fall like two feet in. <laughs> Dude, we were so unprepared. But it was we're awesome. We like Timberlands no, no, no. and it was
1: so, cold, let's, so, let's, so let's, wet.
0: If we're going to talk unprepared, okay, we have to talk Saratusa, okay? <laughs> oh, true. That's true. That That, that is definitely one of the most alive feelings I've ever felt because it was borderline alive and terrifying at the same time. Dude, I'm and, glad.
1: That's exactly the experience I wanted us to have.
0: And I was almost angry at you because of how, yeah, almost South it went, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. because <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was just basically from my experience, yes. Peter's like, yeah, man, you want to climb this mountain? It's called Saratusa. I'm like, uh,
1: sure. Yeah. Sounds great. He's it's like, outside of Medellin, outside of Medellin about three hours. He's like, it's the largest
0: natural pyramid shaped mountain in the world. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that sounds sick. You know, he goes, yeah, it's great. You know, I've, uh, I've actually climbed it twice already. Uh, once with my girlfriend, Paula, And I'm like, oh, oh, so th- what did she think? She's like, ah, you know, it was pretty tough on her, but sh- you know, she, she got over it. So I'm asking him I'm like, so what do you think I need? <laughs> Like, what should I bring? He's like, yeah, some water, some sneakers. You should be fine. You know, I'm just like, I get up there and I'm like, I, I we just had a backpack with two bottles of water, sneakers, yeah. and like my jacket, right? And it was sick. And uh, we get there. GoPro,
1: you got it on the GoPro.
0: I did get it on the GoPro. Yep, we get there. And uh, first we take like a three hour or something to get there. And uh, which was awesome. Cause you're like, yeah. it was just Truly just, I don't know. just felt so out of place. But you were in the middle
1: of nowhere mountains. I look like Jesus. I had
0: really long white, like really long hair, big beard, just straight Jesus. And uh, I remember we get like, at first you have to go through these like cow fields and you you get dropped off and we're going through and you're like, "Eh, I'm not really sure where the thing is. And there's these cows like looking at us and they're like wild ass cows. Like these cows are like the type of cows that like, they'll stomp on you, you know? yeah yeah sketchy that's their territory eventually we get to the mountain and it's like we start climbing it and it's legitimately just vertical it's a vertical mountain there's nothing to hold on to and it starts to rain (laughs) right and i getting up was crazy but going down was way crazier
1: true true it's just like one i don't know like two thousand foot slide just
0: like yeah like Having an Super ice steep. pick, having an ice pick would have been awesome. Like an ice yeah. pick. Because you're on your hands True. and knees just and you have to I mean sl- most
1: people go with with gloves and they're like some people bring ropes. Yeah. And I was like, nah, screw that shit. Like yeah, and you I have was, to do it totally unprepared.
0: We were just sliding down this mountain in one wrong move, you would just tumble like a thousand feet to break yeah. bones, unless you caught like a tree on the way down, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and
1: just that that right there you have to like sit on your ass because as soon as if you like stand up it's so inclined if you tripped you know it's just you're done yeah so you're like going backwards or on your ass the
0: entire time and if we have They're no down. phone service so you would have to wait yeah. until another crew came up in order to potentially get help it was just a really mm-hmm. stupid survival 101 plan it was so stupid right. And I remember you know, you're not the
1: only person I put through that though. I did it seven times. But yeah, go go on.
0: Yeah. And then when we get done with it, we're trying to find the path. We're exhausted. So I'm exhausted. And I, even you're exhausted at that point. Like you're oh, tired yeah. too. For sure. And we start going and you're like, I don't know where the path is. And we went the wrong path. And yeah. I was out of water and I was just like, oh my God, we're in the middle of the jungle right no water peter doesn't know where the path is these cows look like they're about to have sex with us and we got to get out of here oh
1: man remember the cows started
0: chasing you started chasing you yeah yeah
1: actually i was going to say the first time the first time i did cerro tusa i did it alone and that's what's even crazier that's how psycho
0: you are but it's awesome (laughs) yeah no
1: i had no idea what i was doing like absolutely no idea what i was doing and um Actually, the first time a a cow did like a bull did chase me (laughs) at one point after the whole thing. And I had to like slide under this fence that and just got covered in cow shit. And I remember having to go back to the town and get a bus home. And I was just sitting in the bus for three hours. So sweaty. You get so sweaty on that hike because it's humid. You know, it's strenuous. And I was just covered in cow manure and sweat just sitting in the bus. And every Colombian on the bus is like, what the, like, look at this gringo, what what is he doing here? So, I mean, every part of that journey to get there, to do it,
0: to come back, just an experience. And then I remember we didn't have a ride home because we were supposed to meet this guy and we ended up being like an hour late. So he left. So we're sitting on the side of the road trying to hail a random stranger to just, like, who, who we found them, the strangers. And they they picked us up and barely yeah. spoke English. And they drove us to the town. It was pretty magical.
1: Yeah, yeah. Dude, we got to go back to Colombia together. I know. Got to do more of these experiences.
0: I mean, that that's so, it's, it's so, like, if I told my dad that story, like, he would be like, you're an idiot. Like, he's like, yeah. if you're going to go in the wilderness, you have to be prepared. Like, one once a year, my dad does this trip to British Columbia. And he's Mm -hmm. got this really good friend named Wally. And Wally's this guide out there. And basically people pay a lot of money to go and do steelhead and salmon, like out in British Columbia, like the authentic experience, wolves, Mm -hmm. uh, moose, bears, like eagles, like just Mm -hmm. unbelievable. You take a helicopter to the actual spots. And once you're there, you're alone. There's no cell phone service, anything can happen. And Wally was saying to my dad once, my dad's in like the raft, right? And they're like going down this thing. He goes, Dave, how do you feel right now? Uh, do you feel pretty comfortable? He's like, Yeah, I feel really comfortable. This is, this is great. You know, this is awesome. He's like, Never be comfortable. That's how you die in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. He goes, Right now, things look really good, but I'm going to walk the canoe through these mild rapids because of the small chance that there's something in the waters that we're not seeing, it could flip the boat. He's like, "Uh, okay. Needless to say, 30 minutes in, there was like a stump or something from a tree. He's like, you see this? If we didn't do that, you would have capsized. The boat would have capsized. You would have lost all your belongings. You would have lost your glasses. You probably would have survived, right? Like you would have been okay, but you would have lost everything. Right. and it would be gone forever right and your whole trip would have been ruined And it's right. like the the moment you get comfortable is the moment you make mistakes yeah you always have to be on the edge and always thinking about things a smart way it's like that time my stupidest story like my biggest near-death experience was when i almost drowned in bermuda
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i love this i think podcast. you told me that this is one of my favorite podcasts i've ever done because we're just letting it out
1: Can you- yes Tell me about this because you told me it once, but I don't remember the details.
0: Yeah. It was just so scary. It was so scary. Oh my gosh. Um, the eye thing was like the scariest thing in my life, but this yeah. was the scariest experience. Like even before,
1: were you scuba diving?
0: No spear fishing. Okay. So like it was a years back and me and my buddy, um, um, Joe, we, we were, uh, we, we we went to Bermuda to go scuba diving. Yeah. So we like went there to go scuba diving. We go on trips all around and we use diving as an experience thing. It's amazing. Scuba diving is yeah. the best. And the night before we were just really trying to, you know, just find some weed, you know, just like, just simply just, just trying to find some weed and just find me and my boy yep. just smoking a little weed. And, uh, we couldn't find it anywhere. Like just no one had it. And eventually we met this mm-hmm. dude who's like, was working at the bar and he's like, um, he gave me his number because we were looking for someone to take a spear fishing the following day. Um, needless to say, we did a bunch of dives. We're, it was amazing. We were so tired though afterwards, right? The water was really cold, and after two deep dives, you're just you're tired. We went back. We're gonna go nap. Then that dude we met at the bar, he's he's a legend. He texts us saying, "Hey man, uh, I'm at this beach, which was three minutes from our Airbnb." He's like, uh, "You guys want to go uh, spear fishing?" And we're like what time uh, what time is it what time is it it's like 12 30 like no this is like 2 2 30 2 30 p.m
1: okay
0: um so it's still during the day and he, he's like and we're, when we texting him he's like nah we're good we're playing risk on our phones we're just hanging out we're exhausted like we're just gonna yeah. chill and like he goes oh that's a bummer um because i brought all this stuff and i can't go without you guys it's true it's like a three-man job to go lionfish hunting he's like um anyways uh it's fine we don't have to do it but uh i i have a joint do you guys want to smoke (laughs) so naturally we're like uh hell yeah (laughs) let's go bro so we go and to the beach we smoke this joint and uh having a great time and then the guy just he kind of guilt trips us a little bit he's like well you know i have all my stuff here and then my friend joe's just like screw it i'll do it is this a local guy he's a local yeah Okay. Yeah, we just like met him, he's a, he's a friend. I still keep in touch with him today. And then obviously I'm like, all right, well, I'm not gonna be like a huge bitch. Like I'm gonna go too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so dumb idea. He only had half of a wetsuit and one full wetsuit. So Joe had a full wetsuit, I had half of a wetsuit. And this is where I made my mistake. When you go lionfish spearing, one person is at the top. There's like a boogie board with a metal or like a plastic tube or a box of sorts. So when you spear a fish, you can put it into it, right? One person was going down and filming it on a GoPro, and the other person was spearing. He was the best. So like he was mostly spearing. Um, but uh you're going out there, it's you know, r- r- paddling out there on the boogie board, and mm-hmm. everything's good. I'm realize I'm getting really cold, but I'm not really worried about it. I'm like, yeah, we're good. We're not that far offshore, everything's fine. Then, like, once we get into it, I'm like, wow, I'm like really freaking cold. I'm like, wow, this mm-hmm. is- then eventually Joe looks at me he's like hey bro are you good you don't look so good like you, you want to go back are you okay and I'm like yeah dude I'm okay I'm just stupid I wasn't okay but I was just trying not to like ruin the trip so I was like but yo, I think I'm just gonna swim back like you guys just stay um just because We're at not- that
1: point what are you shivering you're just I'm so just, cold
0: yeah I'm just like shivering like I'm not so cold but I'm just like pretty freaking cold yeah. to the point where I don't want to be here anymore you know yeah and uh you need at least two people out there in order to continue doing it because one has to hold the boogie board. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I start swimming back and uh, swim like 50 meters. And then I realize like I'm far from shore. I did not realize it, nor did I realize how drained of energy I was because I was using a boogie board for the whole time. So yeah. I'm swimming and I'm realized like, oh my God, like my bones are freezing up and i don't know if i'm going to make it to shore
1: Mm -hmm. that's really scary
0: and then just the weed hit me and i had a (laughs) full-fledged panic a full-fledged panic attack in open water (laughs) oh no just not where you want to be i'm sitting there like running through scenarios in my head of how i'm just gonna drown and no one's even gonna know for like two hours and like what a what a dumb way like this is how idiots find themselves dead like just stupid decisions that end yeah. up in bad situations. Yeah. Long story, I ended up making it to the top of a reef where I was able to like get my grounding and like hold my shit together, right? Like, yeah, you're gonna be good, Jones. Yeah. And then I made it to another reef and eventually made it to the shore. It was like, I was like clawing up there, so great. Yeah. But it was imagine how it When was, you
1: got to the beach and you just like, oh
0: my God, I made yeah. it. And it's just looking back, it was stupid. Like I'm almost embarrassed telling the story, but at the same time, like these are the stories that teach us lessons in life, right? Like. Yeah. The ocean is unpredictable. You have to always treat it like so. You never get comfortable. If you get comfortable, you die, literally. That's how people die. And hopefully, that little story teaches you to not be an idiot and be smart and, uh, you know, don't. It's a fine balance. It really is a fine balance between being
1: reckless and, you know, being like pushing it, but just to the level where it's okay you know, because we all want to, we all want to push the boundary a little bit. But if you are, you know, if you die, or you get injured, then you're like, man, I'm so dumb. Like, why? Why did I have to do push it just a little too far over the edge? It's So it goes from being exciting to just being absolutely reckless and stupid.
0: Right. And then where's that line? Like part of it is, the story is amazing because you do it. Like you telling me to climb Saratusa was like, I'm so grateful I did it now. Like it's one of my mm-hmm. favorite pictures of me just like in the background with Guadalupe, like Colombia, the behind me. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm you don't like, know where the line is until you tease it, until, until you get you, there. That is so true. That is mm-hmm. so true. And that's like with so much things with life and relationships and business and people and yeah. finding the line and yeah, that could be a whole book, Teasing the Line, Teasing the Line by Peter Clotier.
1: There's so many people
0: uh, that never even want to come close to that
1: line. You know, they, they love the comfort and security of their, of their lives. And I have a lot of people like this in my family. They wouldn't even begin to understand why I live outside of the US. You know, To them, it's, so, it's such a dumb idea. There, why would you want to leave New Hampshire? Why would you want to leave this place that we know we call home? And, and I totally understand. And Sometimes I do wish I had more like security or more, I don't know, it was around family more, things like that. But it's just, it's in my DNA to, to be pushing that line, to try to explore, to try to go out, to, to be, yeah, to be like the Christopher Columbus. Like I want to get in the boat, not know if I'm ever going to go home, ship off i don't even know if we're we're going to fall off the side of the world but we're going to we're going to enjoy trying to find that line and other people they have the dog the kids the house and that's just how it is that's what that's what that's what gets their rocks
0: off i guess well the cool thing is is that at any point you could just be like you know what i want to go get the dog the kids in the house i could sit in there and everyone knows yeah every 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 Every, uh, every girl I've ever met's obsessed with Peter Cloutier. So you can, there's, there's no uh, issue with that. But it's hard to do. It's easy to do that. It's easy to be comfortable. It's easy to settle down. And there's going to be a point in our lives where like, naturally, we want to have families and do that stuff. Yeah. Right. But you could, yeah. I like, I mean, would you see yourself living in South America long term, like, like, like setting up and buying land in Guatemala? Or uh, I could see myself having property long like definitely long term and being here
1: a lot of yeah for a long time but maybe not necessarily being here forever or or it being the 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 only home that I have but I, I do like the idea of having kind of a more nomadic family because I want to give my children those experiences too but it's funny because kids always rebel against what's they what they know you know so if I have a family in which my I'm bringing my family constantly around the world and giving my children these experiences of different countries. You never know. They may completely flip to the other side when they're adults and just want to live in upstate New York and just, I don't know, just be there all the time and not want to travel.
0: Yeah, that that stuff. So the that's why I'm grateful we had this podcast. I'm grateful that you can speak on your experiences and, and teach people that it's possible to just go off to a new country, not knowing the language and be a savage. It's definitely way, way easier for, for a guy to do it than a female. Like that's probably mm-hmm. for sure. Would you agree with that? Just because of the safety issues?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately that's true. But I know it's so many badass girls that are just great role models for that. Like they, they, it's true that it's not as safe for girls. Like that has to be accepted that, you know, they face a lot of difficulties in Latin America in any place in the world, but Latin America, I think some parts of Asia as well, especially India. I have a lot of friends who are avid travelers who are kind of turned off by the idea of solo girl traveling, uh, female traveling through India. Um, But, you know, you just have to take it day by day and, and plan accordingly.
0: Well, let's uh, let's pick a, like a, a two weeks period and let's go explore something or like a month period and let's go to a new country and, and send it.
1: I think we should rent motorcycles together and go through. I've been thinking more and more about Central Asia. It's a place that nobody goes. Well, people go, but it's not like a popular travel destination, like um, all the stands. You know, Kyrgyzstan, Azerbaijan, which is in a stand, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. Like, you don't hear about people going there and and traveling around. It's such, it would be such a cool place to travel.
0: I agree. I want to start, uh, we're going to be doing a lot of stuff with this damn good day stuff. And I would love to make a lot of damn good day travel experiences. Yeah. Uh, Trying to find out how different cultures have good days. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. I'm always Mm -hmm. down to help. Anyways. This is one of the longest podcasts we've done. I'm super grateful. I appreciate you. I'm grateful for everyone that listened. Uh, We out here, Peter, my man, the legend. I still have the lion painting you painted for me in college. It's on my wall. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite things ever. Extremely talented. The vegan, the vegetarian, the reckless uh, motorcycle robin (laughs) person. Um, So uh, grateful to have you on the show. I appreciate you and excited for this to come out. Yeah, I
1: do. Thank you. It was till
0: a next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time. Peace.